Hello and welcome to a very special crossover foot guns slash uh, wasabi boat research podcast. Today we're talking with legendary value investor Thomas Brazil, and um, Thomas is on to share with us his uh, fourth quarter hot dog token picks for uh, for pump season here. So uh, I don't know, Thomas. Like, are you a Doge Maxi? Are we like moving out the risk curve to uh, Shiba Inu? What do you like here? Yeah, Doge Maxi. Um, you know, I'm I'm so vanilla in the world of crypto. Um, I mean, if you my, I mean, I can give my views. Not that they're worth anything, but uh, I was a Maxi. I was a, I was I was kind of a, a Bitcoin maximalist for a really long time, and uh, I don't know. Probably like the last crypto winner, I was like, you know, there's real value in DeFi and smart contracts and things like that. But I and and we worked on a few um sort of restructurings um around tokens and things like that um we helped out the guys now the name of the firm's going to escape me that filed for like a subchapter uh subchapter five basically the first uh, ico bankruptcy that was kind of fun and uh of course smoke ox which i'm sure will unpack some we've been working on that for years so i'm sort of i was telling you guys this before we started i'm sort of like two two thirds in trad five one third in in crypto um, but not in terms of my own assets, just because like cryptos run so hard, and uh, and I'm a believer in the space. But I'm I'm like a I'm like a not not trying to overthink it type of uh, investor in the space. Although I do want to get deeper into De- DeFi, I just haven't had the time to like commit to it. But but no, <laughs> you guys are you guys can run crypto circles around me. I'm sure uh, with all the things going on and actually I'm super interested in like web 3.0 stuff. So like, what is it like the R wares and the uh, what's the GitHub one, like the radicals of the world. Like I'm just very interested in that kind of stuff. Do you own a black Lotus? I own a black Lotus. No, I don't. (laughs) Do you, I mean, I think like there's probably people listening to this. Like, mountain gox like you know we're 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 many many years away from that and my favorite part is that it is like magic the gathering online exchange know, right, right? <laughs> well you know what's really funny so i mean there are a lot of things to talk about here but one of the ones that came up yesterday is i was talking to somebody that is like a full-time crypto person and i was like he didn't really know that much about mount gox i mean he actually i think had a claim and i was saying Man, these guys should shut. The, should uh, most of these guys should think they're lucky stars because they never would have hodled this long. I mean, give me a break. Like, there's no way that someone that had, you know, a four hundred dollar Bitcoin cost base would. I mean, yes, of course there are some people, but a ton of guys would have uh, and girls or whatever. You know, people would have would have lightened up if not sold all, all you know ten times along the way. Um, so most of these cats should be <laughs> in a weird way grateful for having their uh their sort of arms tied to the mask i mean like in some sense it was like the supply was taken off the market right and then all these people were like well congratulations uh the supply is back and it's yours <laughs> the worst the worst the worst are the guys that you meet they're like oh after mount gox like i totally left crypto and i'm like oh man that hurts really uh um but were you guys into crypto in 2014? Did you ever, did you ever, were you guys around in the Mount of Gox days? I was um, mining Dogecoin and we can't find the laptop. <laughs> no. 
Oh my God. Stories like that. How much Doge is on that laptop? Do you think? Uh, I, you know what? I don't even, we've talked about it. We can't even remember like, yeah, that like I, I remember it was the day that the, that Dogecoin launched and you know, we were like, Oh, Bitcoin's Bitcoin's old news. I mean, you know, we could go buy some, but yet like at the time you had to buy it on Bitcoin's eBay or something like that. Um, but you know, it was like, Oh, well we could just like start mining Dogecoin on our CPU. I think at the time it was like, were there even dual cores or something? I don't even remember. Like, but you know, so we ran a we ran a Dogecoin miner for like a week or two or something, and then I think we bought um, three dollars of Doge off of someone on eBay. Oh my god, three dollars bought you what? Like, I don't even know. Like, what was the, what do you think you paid per per Doge? Like, uh, many, 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 many zeros. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. Like, I assume like. You know, one of the things I think uh, one of my favorite guys in crypto is uh, the guy at Zappo, Wences Caesar, I think is his last name. I can't remember his last name, but um, but I think he's really cool. Do you guys know this guy? I don't know who that is. I've never heard of him. He's cool. He, he's a founder of Zappo. Um, but long story short is he kind of says like, you know, when you're really early in something, it's like, you know, it's kind of easy to think that oh you know this is already over you know like this you know we've already sort of missed the move um and i've seen it a lot of times with um you know you meet you know we're effectively a, an investment firm right um we're managing money like i manage money for some large family offices and uh, and sometimes we work with uh more institutional type investors like a hedge fund or a large alternative uh, investment firm and uh my point is like you run across like guys, of course, that have, you know, amazing exits. Sometimes it's just an industrial company, sometimes in tech companies. And, you know, for like one time I ran across the, the Equinix guy who was like super early in, uh, you know, data centers and co-location. So like co-location, uh, uh, you know, sort of, I guess real estate is not real estate, but, um, you know, he would think like, oh, we used to make like, you know, hundred percent return. Like we would have like two month paybacks on these co-location spaces we set up, you know? And like, I thought these guys were nuts when they, you know, paid me the number they paid me. And so he basically exited like a few hundred million dollars. Now Equinix is like a, I don't know, $50 billion company. So, I mean, there's been a lot of, they've, they've reinvested a lot of cash flow and raised a lot of money along the way. But my point is like, it's very easy when you're in things really, really early to kind of think that, you know, you sort of missed the move or something. But that's what I've been thinking a lot about recently. Yeah. I, I wanted to just like take a step back and do like a, a proper intro for you. I know I was like messing around at the beginning, but like, for sure. I, I have a confession. I'm a bit of a Brazil head. So like I, I learned about you from, from my, really? my friend, <laughs> Nate, who wrote a blog called Oddball Stocks. Oh yeah, Nate. Yeah, yeah. And when we would get together and just like have beers and talk about stocks, he would like, he was like, look, Thomas Brazil is like, he finds the most illiquid crazy <laughs> shit. Cause like he's into finding crazy shit. And like, you were the guy that like found even crazier shit than him. So like, I was trying to, you know, like some of your, so I've like followed you. Like I see some of the stuff you've done it and, and you find these kind of like illiquid mm -hmm. bankruptcy hidden assets, um, you know, let the uh, legislature, uh, lawsuit yeah, yeah, totally. type, type investments and this, so like to sum it up in, in one word i would i would say like truffle hound right like you find stuff that's kind of has a lot of hair on it 
and then the upside for you is that it, it's not as risky as it right. appears, right? Like you find this hidden value. And I think... Well, when you pay a penny, <laughs> a lot of upside. <laughs> it's like, no, uh, that's very kind of Nate to say that and for you to say that. I, I, you know, I would just caveat that the reason you can find stuff like that, being a total truffle dog, and I'm sure in crypto, there's tons of stuff where if you're super connected and know about projects that are really starting to take off, you know, you know, there's all kind of truffle hound stuff you can do in crypto um, and around protocols, things like that. But uh, in traditional finance, uh, there's stuff too. Um, the thing that the thing about it is like mo- the reason it works, and here's the caveat: is it it works because really only you or I can do it. Like an institution really can't do it. So some of the stuff I've done over you know my lifetime, where you know I put in hundred thousand dollars and made 20x or you know 30x or something like that on it um you know a hundred thousand dollars to an investment fund um or professional money manager is total chicken shit you know y'all said i could curse um so it's so it's very difficult for them to make and but that's where all the interesting stuff is i mean you can go on you know to see markets in the states or abroad and fish around whether they're listed you can fish around in little bankruptcies. You can fish around. There are guys that do real estate and they think, you know, some of these guys are good and they're humble and they realize that the reason it works is because it's a small market. But, you know, there are guys that do, you know, whatever, RV park roll-ups and, yeah, the returns are 30 40% IRRs, but, you know, it's a million-dollar deal, you know, which for you or I could be awesome, but for for a big institution, it's just hard to make that make sense. And so, you know, I don't think it's... You know, I kind of, I guess I approach crypto in the same way, which is when I was first doing Mt. Gox, which is the reason I got into crypto was sort of buying claims on Mt. Gox. No one wanted these claims. You know, everybody I spoke to said, Tom, that sounds great, but you're stuck in these claims and you're long Bitcoin. And I was like, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on Bitcoin. I actually think it's a pretty cool idea. I'm not saying it's like 100% going to happen, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, take you know the you know you're you know, taking the pill in the matrix or something like. Once you think about it, you're like, "Holy shit! If that works, that's going to be worth a lot of money." Um, but I mean, I'm happy to back up and give some background. I mean, my that's kind of you to say. Like my, you know, my parents. I grew up, uh, you know, in Georgia. My parents were bankruptcy lawyers or lawyers really. My mom was a bankruptcy lawyer, and um, and uh, you know, I I was hanging out around you know, the bankruptcy court, um, I, I literally my, I guess, you know, I used to hang out at my mom's office and my, my friends were her, her lawyer friends and, you know, learning about bankruptcy code and seeing opportunities come up through these little cases. Like I remember as a kid, you know, like a card shop going under and we could buy the entire inventory for $3,000. And this was like, my mom was like, I'll give you the money. Do you think we could, do you think it's worth like the 3000? I'm like, I have no idea, but it was so much stuff. You think like, you know, maybe this is something worth, uh, worth looking at. So anyway, so that's how it kind of came up. And then, you know, time marched on, um, you know, went to university, sort of followed a traditional route, I guess. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe I just don't fit in the traditional finance, but, um, I got kind of sucked into looking and people like Nate, Wasabi, that's nice of you to say, um, you know, they were like inspirations for me. Like I would read people like Oddball and Greenback and uh, can't think of who else was out there. What was the, what was the one that uh, 
Um, Andrew Walker used to run. Maybe he was oddball. What's Nate's? Is Nate's oddball? No, Nate's on anyway. oddball sock, yeah. Okay, yeah, Nate's oddball. I can't remember what, what Andrew Walker's was at the time. But anyway, but these are all guys that, you know, OTC Adventures, which was, uh, which was Dave Waters. And I would read this stuff because I kind, kind of um, – interested in looking at, you know, smaller companies. Cause when you see the valuations, you're like, wow, the valuations are amazing. You know, it'd be like you guys looking at like younger crypto projects, you know, you're like, wow, the valuation compared to like the stalwart project is amazing. So if this works, like this could be huge. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh, that you're on here talking to us. I mean, you, you probably don't know this because you know, we only have a couple thousand readers or whatever, but on, on August 20th, um, there was a project that had gotten hacked like, um, you know, a week, week or so before and, you know, everything moves fast in crypto. So like, I, I got to go in and I got to like figure out that, you know, what, what's going to happen? What do I think is going to happen? What happened? Like, was the hack really that bad? Blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I was just like, big sparks in my eyes just like holy shit this is a big like yeah. value opportunity um and the 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 token was trading at a dollar 20 and it's trading at like 40 right now as we're talking so um yeah i mean it, insanity the the those moments where you're like hey the the market has mispriced right. this right like yeah so, something bad has happened but how bad was it right <laughs> well what I always say is like, I don't mind risk as long as I get compensated for it. So as long as I think the upside compensates me or the price I'm paying severely limits my downside because it's just like such a egregiously cheap price. And I'm so, so I'm like the, the scales are tipping in my favor. It's worth taking a look at now, you know, catching there's, you know, there's old, they're famous, you know, don't catch a falling knife kind of sayings on wall street. And um but i don't think that's always true i think it's you know you made a really good point about risk management right and i um i went on wasabi's podcast like you know shortly after we had met each other and you know he asked me he was like oh why didn't you just like go all in on this opportunity and you know like obviously hindsight is 2020 had i done that like you know we would we would be buying like multiple islands in the caribbean right but but i didn't (laughs) i put on what at the time I thought was a reasonable amount of risk and I got a 40 X. Right. And I was willing to, wow. I was willing to sit through that upside because I didn't put too much on. Right. And like, I feel like that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things, uh, our, our, you know, the other person we're partnered with boomer talks about, which is like, uh, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this. Um, when something's going your way, like he says that you should not sell until you're so like, it makes you feel so sick to your stomach that you're holding this thing still. <laughs> I like that. You know, I think, I think that, uh, um, I think you should hold like 10 times longer than it, than you, than you feel comfortable holding it. But even then you're probably better off to sell a little bit, you know, uh, well, some you, you're, you're probably better off to not try to catch the top. Like, and don't, ex- I guess what I mean is don't expect to hit the top. That's just kind right. of silly. I mean, I you, interpret you know, to, to, I interpret his logic as like you should sell the other side of the top, right? Like you should be fine with selling the other side of the top. Yeah, me too. I feel the same way. I'd rather let it top and then be like, okay, I made my money. I didn't catch the top. That's okay. I still made twenty x or forty x or even five x, whatever you kind of thought was, um, you know, over what what it might be worth. Um, 
but um yeah it's something to think about and also taxes matter like you know um you know if you think about after tax and then opportunity cost of your dollars you know if you're paying a high tax rate on a short-term gain versus long-term i mean it really does matter depending upon your tax situation but um but uh, yeah i think you're better off selling on the back side yeah yeah i totally agree with that um that's hard it's hard Look, if you make 20x, you make 30x, make 40x, like, come on, you can't be too upset. Um, exactly, exactly. But but I would say I agree with you in some sense that if, depending upon the setup, um, if you think you're being wildly compensated for the risk, you should try to put it on bigger than, than, than just like an option. But you should be careful not to make it so big that it really will blow you up. Um, I mean, I've seen some very smart people blow up. And, um, I kind of think like, gosh, well, that was, that was kind of silly. Cause you know, you're a smart chap, like you didn't need to go to zero. Um, you know, but it just depends, you know, if you have an income, how old you are, how young you are, these kind of things. Um, you know, what your cost structure is, if you have a family or whatnot, but that's interesting. No, you got to tell me next time you find a 40 X and a broken down crypto name. Because of a hack, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, well, you know, uh, <laughs> you got to subscribe to Foot Guns. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. But you know, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? Is I like I published uh, I, I published my investment thesis, right? As soon as I felt comfortable, um, and I you know I put the risk on. I'm like I you know I put the risk on when I wrote the newsletter. So it's not like I like I'm sitting in this thing for three months and then I'm just like, okay, can I can I go out and see if I can get some people to bail me out of this trade? Yeah. But it's true. One of the things that I don't understand is like I meet guys in traditional crypto, I mean, in traditional finance and, uh, you know, they like they don't even want to they don't even have a discussion around crypto. And then you meet guys. Um, I'm glad you guys are opportunistic, but you meet some guys in crypto who are who, well, I don't know, that sort of like really only want to talk about you know, the top tier projects um whatever that means or i would say like the gold like the sort of stalwart projects i don't know i just think there's opportunity everywhere and crypto is no different um yeah, i mean that's why we have um you know and i think I, I think maybe it'd be great we can get you back on at some point to talk to boomer because that's like i mean that's all he does all day long is you know sends me uh charts of like copper and oil and things like that you know different commodities that he trades and he's just like hey like uh, why do you care about crypto so much? Like you could just be doing this exact same thing. I mean, I, um, you know, I kind of like partner traded natural gas with him when it was going wild cool. because I was just like, oh shit, that looks like fun. And, um, you know, I mean, he was the one pushing the buy and the sell button, but yeah, I mean, it started, <laughs> if you go, go look at a chart of natural gas or lumber futures or whatever, it's like, yeah, that looks like a shit coin. <laughs> I mean, look, yeah, I don't think it's any different. I mean, I was talking to someone recently about carbon credits I and mean, when someone when the guy was explaining to me how the carbon credit market works, I was like, oh, this is basically like a crypto project. He was like, what? I was like, well, you know, you have a deflationary schedule and then you have this like, you know, basically you're staking so that someone can use your, your, your they compensate you to use your certificate every year. Uh, he was like, he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, never mind, don't worry about it. <laughs> but it, but it, it basically looked a lot like, you know, any, any crypto project you would see um so anyway i mean they, they, they are they're like little eco economic markets right these little economies. so they partner with uh klima dow to uh offer ten thousand or twenty thousand percent apy uh i don't know off uh locking this up their guy... carbon credits <laughs> 
Yeah, I, yeah, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, you had to send me the. I don't know that that uh, that pro, that uh, project. Yeah, I'm so curious. I I bought. I put half of an Ethereum into Klima, staking it because it's just like, okay, well, I don't know how they're gonna make this work. But if they make it work, do I need to really invest that much more to get a giant, giant, giant gain off of this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys, I, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat, I'm somewhat. I want to say old school, but because of the the stuff I do all day, I don't always have time. I think once Mount Gox probably pays out, I'll probably be spending a lot more time on crypto. Just because I'm gonna have a bunch of you know capital. You're so to be clear, you're just like in this giant Bitcoin position still that you you can't really do anything with. Well, yeah, basically. I mean, we do so. So let me yeah, I'll fast forward. So I I used to run it after, um, and I can walk through some some like fun war stories. We've had crazy war stories from from distressed, but um, I ran it. I came out of grads or come out of undergrad. Um, I got, had a job for a few years and I went back to grad school. Didn't really know, it's not that I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work in principal investing. Um, but I didn't really have anyone that I thought would be a great mentor, like, uh, you know, offering me a gig. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna start my own. So I started my own little hedge fund, you know, trying to basically mimic like, or like a Buffett partnership. And, um, I did that for six years. Um, Okay, successful. I would say from a business standpoint, not successful. We never really scaled. Uh, but my investors didn't do too horrible, horribly, which is uh, to me like more important than the business because I mean you're a fiduciary of other people's money. Um, so did that, and then I really just started doing um, the stress stuff. We actually started doing Mt. Gox in the fund, um, but uh, yeah, so the first claim we bought, first claims we bought were in the fund, and. Um, and uh yeah then after that i started doing it for a family office I started buying mount cox and bitcornico which is like a, a kind of a nested docket it was the first place you could get like leverage on uh, uh btc so you some guys there's some serious ogs um like roger vars and people like that who are claimants uh in in uh in bitcornico because they were posting to get you know eight percent ten percent interest rates on their bitcoin and um and uh, meanwhile, it allowed other people to take the other side of that. You know, they wanted to get leverage and they would pay 10% for the leverage. Um, but Mt. Gox went under, like Bitcoinico was just like a matching engine for leverage. All the actual transactions were happening on uh, Mt. Gox. So when Mt. Gox went under, <sighs> shocker, they went under. Um, so yeah, no, I'm basically long those two, two thing, those two dockets pretty, pretty aggressively. As a, as a percentage of my net worth but my day job is just doing like kind of normal distress stuff we've like i said we worked on an ico bankruptcy we worked on i i think was the first crypto um yeah well i that was an ico bankruptcy that was the first ico bankruptcy ever um the actual the judge was going to call the tokens vouchers which would have been really un, a bad result for crypto i think in terms of their legal rights um, but luckily, that never came to pass. The case kind of fell apart, and it never got discussed as part of the plan. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm a, I'm too long winded here. But uh, so yeah, I, I would like to explore more about the Mount Gox stuff because you've I, th I think I've heard you talk about it on other places, but I still had some kind of like questions. I'm just so like 
here's what I know. So Mt. Gox was this crypto Bitcoin exchange in Japan and they blew up and I guess they were they hacked or like some, some the, the Bitcoin was gone. And then there are these claims that are left. Was that just like yeah. they had some unhacked Bitcoin that was 100% sure was still in there? And that's what the claims that you bought or or like what was what was the exactly what was what did you know about where the assets were and stuff at that time? Yeah, so I mean, I started buying into that like late 2015, um, basically because I read an article in the FT about Mt. Gox going under, and I'd read about crypto, I think like in the Economist like years earlier, and I thought, oh, that's kind of weird and cool, um, and I didn't think anything of it other than that. I actually was going to go buy some crypto at like you know back then you had to like go and meet somebody at Starbucks to buy Bitcoin, which which um, I should have probably done. I was, but I like was a broke student, so I really had no business doing it. Uh, anyway, so Mt. Gox, when I first when I first found it, yes, they had found two, about two hundred thousand of the eight hundred thousand Bitcoin. Um, so right now, there's about one hundred forty four thousand Bitcoin, and the reason is because the trustee sold some in the two thousand and eight run up to basically be able to pay all the claimants their what's called their damage claim value, meaning the petition take uh, value of their claim in fiat. So when I was buying claims 2015-16, originally I was just buying Bitcoin at a third of the market price. So I think Bitcoin when I first bought was at like $300 and I paid a price that was equivalent on a look-through basis of about $100 a coin or maybe a little less, maybe $80 a coin. And then fast forward... So I just bought these, sat on them. Fast forward to 2018, the trustees sold some crypto and then there was fiat in the estate. Mm -hmm. So then there was a time when at that time, I want to say Bitcoin was at like $4,000. No, well, the run up went up to uh, 2018 up to like 20, but his average price when selling was like 12 to 13,000 USD per BTC. And uh, that allowed us to buy claims below the cash value on all the claim uh, on, on any given claim we bought. Um, so we got the crypto for free. So that was the best time to put the trade on. And we did that for a family office. And um, um, yeah, so that was fantastic time to buy claims. You know, people and then and then fast forward, you know, even further, we bought claims all along the way. Now we really buy them for a large crypto hedge fund. Um, that really is just paying about 70 cents in the dollar. So it's really not a bad deal for people that want out um, giving cryptos run a lot. But, you know, I always tell people like every single, every single seller, like large or small, it's like, Hey, if you don't need to sell your claim, like you should just hold it because it's the worst. It's not the worst thing in the world. You basically a fourth total. And it's likely that you don't pay taxes on the distributions if you're original claimant. Um, so it's probably not a taxable event because it's property for property. And um so you should try to hold on to it. But, you know, some people have life events, you know, they have their wife gets pregnant, they have a kid, they need to buy a house or they want to start a business. Some guys are working on other crypto projects. And so they want to sell so they can invest in the project that they're working on. And, um, you know, I can't think of anything better than that. You're investing in yourself. But, um, you know, so so that's it. And yeah, so when we got involved, uh, Mark Capellas, I mean, Mark Capellas, I mean, I've met him twice in Tokyo. I don't think he's a mastermind. Um, I think he's kind of a village idiot. And uh, it's just like kind of a, a, a nerdy idiot. And um, he, uh, you know, for years, you know, coins have been being sucked off the exchange. 
And he basically was sort of cooking the books to like keep it alive. And he thought that with the transactions they were making and the Willy bot that he made, made this bot that was supposed to like trade against customer order flow to like make money, but instead <laughs> of actually losing money, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is quite funny. Uh, he thought he could make back the losses. And Jeb kind of knew this, the original founder of Mt. Gox, uh, when he sold the exchange. I mean, he openly like in his documents where he sells the exchange to, um, to what's his name to, to Mark, he basically lays out that like, Hey, I don't want to, I have no live future liability of this because like, you know, that, you know, these guys, like there's missing coins and, and there's somebody who's like sucking coins off the exchange somehow. So they knew that was like a, some, some problem in their, their software and the security, but they kind of went about it. And he, he somehow found 200,000 or 200, I mean, it was either 204, 205,000 Bitcoin just like in a cold storage wallet that he didn't even know like existed. He'd like forgotten about. So that shows you how like sloppily the whole thing was run. Yeah, it was the early days in crypto, you know? And I mean, uh, again, it was called Magic the Gathering right. online exchange. Come on, guys. It's called Magic the <laughs> It was the trade to trade playing cards, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was a large amount of Bitcoin that showed up on it. And then that Bitcoin started becoming worth something. And then it was like the only place to trade Bitcoin, right? At the time, basically. The only place like besides going, like you said, to Starbucks and buying it from somebody. And so so what was your view on Bitcoin at that time? And has it changed since then? Or or was it like pretty, you said you were doing some research at that time. Like what, what, what did you think about Bitcoin? You were just like, hey, if it works out, it's going to be a big win or did you have any of this like bitcoin ideology that a lot of people seem to have um you know i did put a lot of money into it so i clearly was like betting harder than than my conviction level or at least open conviction level i would say now i've been i'm a lot more you know open to talking about bitcoin but there were years where um you know i didn't really talk much about it because i didn't want anybody to know about it i mean in traditional finance i mean you know it's it's I'm sure crypto can be this way too. And all, all anything that's clubby can be this way, but you know, there's a real group think always going on and there's always a little like, well, that guy's not wearing the same Jersey as me. And, you know, people being made fun of for like suggesting, you know, buying some dying company or buying, you know, getting involved in some crazy industry. And so for me, the first time I pitched buying Mt. Gox claims to a, a, a very large hedge fund, well, not very large, but a large hedge fund, about $2 billion hedge fund. The guy fucking laughed me out of his conference room. And I was just like, Oh, right. I should probably be careful who I mentioned this to because that's the kind of response you might get. Um, and so, so yeah, when I first was looking at it, I was doing all the typical research people would do, you know, going online, reading the white paper. And I was like, this is some crazy shit. I mean, if this works, this works. I mean, this this is like pretty, pretty amazing. And who knows where, you know, uh, where, where it leads to. Um, and I would also say that, so I, so I was like, I kind of thought like, hey, in an alternative universe, if this if this becomes like the alternative history of like instead of traditional finance, this is this could be pretty huge. That was one thing. And the second thing was I was really impressed just by like the brain power of people I would meet in the industry. Um, so, you know, you meet, you know, very technical like computer scientist types and, um, you know, technology and technologist types. And uh, I was just like, wow, there's so much brain power. I mean. I'm not saying all these people are right or they're wrong, but it's it's fun, it's interesting, and um, you know we could all be wrong, but it definitely you know I got sort of sucked into the scene of the brain power as well. So those are the two things that made it 
made it interesting um, for me. Um, but I was sort of a closet uh, sort of, you know, buyer of these claims for a few years. Um, and, and I didn't really talk much about Bitcoin because I didn't want, you know, people to think much of it. I always said, oh, it's a free, especially in 2018, even then I was like, oh, it's a free option. You know, you get the Bitcoin for free. And people were like, yeah, but it's Bitcoin. It's not worth anything. I was like, I don't know. So you would get, you would get pushbacks like that. But um, yeah, I was kind of convinced. I mean, I put, I mean, frankly, just to put all the cards on the table, but not deep numbers, like I basically put all my net worth in, uh, in these claims um, personally. So my investors couldn't be too upset with me. <laughs> in fact, I mean, of course, my investors pay me a promote on the, on this, uh, on the investment, but I'm still going to make more from my principal, you know, sort of claims that I bought than I will on the, uh, on the promotes. So I did put a lot in and just sort of, um, treated it as a forced total. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think the the thing that kind of made Bitcoin click for me was listening to some, one of the horizon kinetics guys. And he, he was just putting it as like a, Oh yeah kind of a probabilistic thing, whereas like, okay, say Bitcoin is right and it becomes this global reserve currency, then it's going to be worth, you know, exponentially more. What what are the odds of that? If you think that's even a 1% or 2% chance, then you'd be dumb to not buy any just out of that, like expected value of that kind of payoff. Right. You know, it's interesting. Who is it? Because you know, I'm actually quite close. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm super close, but I'm quite close with the Horizon guys. And so, you know, Murray Stahl used to be on the board of this little company, which I know you know about because you were asking me about it or you put it in the, the notes that maybe talk about. So he used to be on the board of Winland with us. And I remember having a conversation with him. We were in like the Marriott, you know, in in uh, in uh, Minnesota. Uh, where the company is sort of located in Mankato, Minnesota. So we're in Minneapolis, I think. And um, and he said, oh, you know, just by like $20,000 worth. Who knows? And I think Bitcoin at the time was like, I can't remember. I want to say like, again, it was like a few hundred dollars per Bitcoin. And I was like, yeah, who knows, right? And I mean, he had a very similar view, which is the payoffs are so big if it works. You should just put 1% of your wealth in it and just forget about it. Just forget you own it. And if it works, great. If not, Okay, so what? So yeah, that had some influence on me. But I put 100% instead of 1%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, that does, doesn't really work for uh, putting 100% in. I mean, to be fair, I put most of the money in when I was getting the Bitcoin for free. And I was making a legal bet, which is I was making a legal bet that both Japan and New Zealand were going to treat Bitcoin as property, not as a currency for purposes of their both the, their insolvencies. So there was a real discussion around Mt. Gox and the Cornica, and he was the real risk guy. So I don't want to act like it was totally riskless, which is normally when you have a bankruptcy, the increase in value from the petition date, meaning the day the company files for insolvency to the day of distribution, um, if it's currency, if, if, it, if, if it's not property, if it's just like currency, the uplift in value shouldn't go to the claimant. It should go back to the company. Uh, Under Japanese insolvency law, you get what's called a damage claim. That's why I was saying he sold the yacht to be able to have enough to pay everybody their damage claim value just in case, like, the Supreme Court didn't rule that it was property and then he could give the uplift. Because all the money was actually going to go back to Mark Capellas and Jeb, which is insane. Um, so, 
And the same thing in New Zealand. But both at the time, there was some case law, both in the States, both in the UK, and a few other jurisdictions that basically said, there's no way this is not, you know, intangible property or some sort of property. You can't possibly treat it as a currency where the uplift in value uh, doesn't go to the claimants. So we won in both jurisdictions, both in Japan and New Zealand. That was the bet I got. I paid I paid below cash, so I was going to make like a 6% return just on my cash. Then I got the crypto for free, and I had to win those lawsuits, and I won both those lawsuits. So really the trade was a bit more structured than I hope I probably have put on, as we've discussed, and then another podcast where I've talked about it. Um, and that's why people would sell below the trust value because they were worried because there was a lot of press, there was a lot of FUD out there that, oh, we're going to lose these lawsuits and the money's going to go to Mark. And I was like, it's never going to happen because even if you lose on property, you can sue them for unjust enrichment and all kind of manner of you know strategies for basically suing the, the debtor for that uplift in value. So I had like a multi-prong sort of thought process about how we could get that money. And, you know, I got to basically you know, make a bet where I was going to make five or 10 X. And then I got the overlay on Bitcoin, which then of course went up another, whatever, 10 X or, you know, since that, since the 18 timeframe, you know, maybe more, right. I guess it's been probably even more, but um, yeah. You said, you said at this point, you, I was just saying at this point, you were not managing your risk, right? You were just <laughs> buying like every, well, every dollar you could find you were putting into this bet. You know, for me guys, I just saw it as the best bet I'd ever seen. So I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did this with my salary for four and a half years by every dollar I made that I wasn't spending on food and, you know, pleasure. I was uh, just putting into Bitcoin and everyone, uh, you know, it was like the most boring trade ever, right? Like I, uh, it went against me for a while. I basically like, you know, what they call mm -hmm. dollar cost averaged in, right? Um, and then it went, you know, I 10x'd, um four years of my salary, you know, it's like, okay, that's great trade. Right. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I wasn't managing risk. I was absolutely not managing my risk. Right. I, I wasn't like growing a pool of, um, of us dollars. I did, you know, when, uh, when Bitcoin crashed, uh, that flash crash, basically when the stock market went down in, um, uh, 2020, I did have a little bit of money, you know, to buy it, but yeah. Yeah. What I, did I wish that I had a little bit more? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just think in your in your in the life in your in your life you're only going to have a certain amount of opportunities, and you know you should probably go in pretty hard when you find ones you really believe in. You just can't go to zero. I mean, when I say put 100 percent in, you know, I had had luckily something else work out quite well that was a a pretty decent. Um, well, it was for myself. It was a it's a very big payday, and um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, have some money because I'm going to invest in my business and whatnot. But any dollar I've got sitting around, I'm just going to buy this stuff because this is like the best trade I've ever seen, um, especially Bitcoinica. So I should say that, like, I own some Mt. Gox claims. Like, I don't you know, probably like maybe 20 claims. But a Bitcoinica, um, you know, I bought just an enormous amount of claims, um, you know, as a percentage of my, you know, like I'm probably... I don't know, like uh, one third Malcox, like two thirds Bitcoinica, maybe even more, right? Like one fourth, three fourths um, Bitcoinica. And it really was, again, it was, I was getting 10X on Bitcoin and then Bitcoin went up, you know, from the time I bought them, like, which is, I bought those around like the 17, 18 timeframe. Um, 
gone up, you know, eight to 10 to 12 X, depending upon where it was purchased. So 10 on 10 is nice. Um, and so I thought, I really did think that Bitcoin was going to have another run and, and not even another run, but I thought that by that time, by 18, I was very interested in Bitcoin as just like a store of value and thought that it was the clear winner. And I was like, I guess my main thesis was like, it hasn't died yet. <laughs> I like things that don't die. Um, and to me, it made the case more compelling. But that's interesting how that you put that much um, dollar cost for four years. People don't talk about that in investing. Like some of the best ideas are quite boring. You know, you're sort of, you're sort of like just continuously doing something. And yeah, it's, that's how you make money though. Especially like everyone around me is like, oh, well, you should, you know, why are you doing that? Like you could be buying this, right? Or you could be buying this or you could be shorting this or you could, you know, or, or there's a yield play over here, blah, 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 you know? Um, right. You could just be buying leveraged oil contracts like every day or, you know, uh, there's a there's a report that comes out once a week about, you know, the natural natural gas reserves in the U.S. You can take that bet every single yeah. week. Right. I don't know, man. I just yeah. I think if you if you if you understand, if you if you find something and you really think it's good, like you should try to do it in scale, like you really should try to do it. I mean, have have enough to where if it doesn't work. You know, you won't be on food stamps. Like you can still go to McDonald's and, you know, you can buy a coffee if you want and you can, you know, pay your rent or whatever you need. But, but you should, you should try to really go for it. Like, I mean, I see, I can't, I can't understand people that are young, young ish, like anybody like under 30, under 40, under 30. And I'm like, you haven't even looked at crypto. Like, you know, you're just like, just think it's like bullshit. Like, Man, I'm just telling you, I'm not telling you it's real, whatever. Just just don't spend a minute. Like this there's clearly a lot of growth that's gonna be here in the next twenty or thirty years. Like how could you how could you not consider this? Um and then I see them run their money like they're they're like like they're the Yale endowment. I'm like, they see what they're doing and I'm like, Hey, this is great. Are you rich? They're like, No. <laughs> I'm like, why do you have like thirty stocks and it's like, you know, Intel, Microsoft, like whatever. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Right, right. Big, smart, concentrated bets get you rich. Diversification is how you stay rich. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think some of that's true. Um, and it depends on what you think of rich. Like one of the things that I've gotten a lot of phone calls from people that are very good friends of mine. They're like, well, you're already rich. So like, why, why do you continue to hold this? Why don't you just sell it? And, uh, and my response is like, but I'm, 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 I'm rich without this. Like, I don't need this. Like I already make a good income in my regular job. Um, and, uh, and I have some, you know, built up wealth just through that. So this is just gravy. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was being a bit hyperbolic when I was saying like you weren't managing risk and I wasn't managing risk because you know, I had a, I had a salary, right? Like what happens when that Bitcoin goes against me? Like, well, I, I have a salary, right? So like, I'm not, I, I can start over. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to go to zero. And then, you know, recently for me, when we uh, started foot guns about seven months before foot guns, um, I, you know, so I guess it's been a, over a year now that like, I haven't had a real salary. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I had to diversify. I had to like, I had to get back into some dollars because uh, I need to live off of those dollars. And if Bitcoin goes against me now, like, you know, I don't have that salary, right? So um, yeah, it changed my whole risk management outlook. And then, uh, uh, you know, full disclosure, I don't know if you know, know this, but I like recently just got hired by Badger. So 
again, I changed my risk outlook, right? And now I'm like, oh, okay, now I can go, you know, punt a bunch of shit coins because uh, I'm getting paid again. So, you know, if I if I see something that that I'm like, oh, actually, that's a really, really nice opportunity. Um, I'm more willing to take that opportunity now, right. you know, because I have this um, uh, this thing to, to fall back on. Yeah, exactly. I think so. I think so. It's like, in, you, in a way, if you can also design your life to where you can maximize the optionality through through like space time, right? Like if you if you have a little bit of income and you're living sort of like under your means and you have some reserve capital, that can allow you to take a lot more risk than most people. Um, but if you're sort of spending heavily compared to what you earn and you know, so you're spending every dollar you make and you don't really have any built up reserve, like of course, like it's very hard to be like, you know, punting around on ideas you really think are great. So Yeah, yeah. I think um so I you know, I'm 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 a crypto maxi or whatever. Like like you were like you were saying, like once you, if you believe in something, go in like a hundred percent, right? So you know, about a year ago or whatever, I got really, really bullish on DeFi. And, uh, you know, against uh, Boomer's advice, I just moved like nearly, you know, nearly 100% of my net worth into DeFi and refused to trade in traditional ways, even though I could probably have made, you know, I mean, whatever, arguably, whatever. I found ice at a dollar and it went to 40, right? And like, could I have could I have beat that trading uh, Bitcoin futures on interactive brokers with like massive leverage? I don't know, maybe, but it would like, it's a different story, right? Mm -hmm. So like, that's the story of my life that I want to have is like, I want to be involved in DeFi and I want to, I want to grow with it. And like part of it, like justifying it is like, can I actually go in here and can I, can I perform like anyone else? Right. And, and I think like I've proven it uh, that you, that you can. And I mean, it's, it's only been a year. So like, okay, maybe next year I'm just like, Hey guys, I got drawn down 95%. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, but that's that's risk, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. It's like, it, it, in my opinion, if you don't see that risk, then like, yeah, like get out. Like something's wrong. Like yeah. you're you're in a you're getting scammed, right? Like, uh, it's too good to be true. I think I think you know it's like all. I mean, you have to put in the time. Like you've you put in the time to learn crypto. Like for myself, I put in the time to really learn distress because even though my parents were lawyers, like they don't really know a lot of the stuff that we do, and that compounds on itself, right? So then if you see another crypto opportunity, um, you're at a much more advantage to um, to look at it. And then if you have that sort of like mindset, and I think for sure, other people have said this, but Naval, I think, said it too, which is like, if you can basically, you know, allow yourself, to, you know, increase the optionality in your life by like, you know, decreasing your expenses and, and like having, you know, you know, the capacity, basically the capacity for pain, right? Because you will get drawdowns along the way. And I'm sure your trade, which, I, you know, that worked out, like, I'm sure there were times when it didn't, I'm sure it didn't go up the moment you bought it, you know, and it's like, these are the kind of things that people kind of expect, and it's easy to get shaken out because of them. Um, and, you know, that's just not going to happen. You have to have some conviction, but it can't just be blind conviction. I mean, it needs to be, it needs to be somewhat battle tested, but I will say that of all the things that have worked out for me, like there's still an element of risk that you can't get rid of. And it stops people from swinging. So like the family offices and people like that that we work for, they're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like it's maybe it's a good risk reward, but like there's still risk. I'm like, of course there's still risk. Of course. It's just a good risk reward setup. So you won't be able to eliminate all the risk from it just by like being super, super knowledgeable on a subject, which I think is a mistake people make. They just think if I just know 
just more then yeah i'll be able to eliminate the risk and i'm like no no you won't no <laughs> yeah so what why don't we get into that the DeFi stuff a little bit because i know like you know we've talked a lot about bitcoin but i haven't really heard you talk in other places about like ethereum DeFi, and i happen to know that you own an nft or two so like what what i know you've been, you've been <laughs> playing around you're you're, you're curious I'm playing around so what what's your take like what do you think about eth generally and then this whole kind of like universe of uh of projects that are happening in in the ecosystem you know i'm so vanilla i should start spending more time on it i mean i think it's super fascinating i love all the DeFi stuff um i need to do more of it uh i own ethereum i own nexus mutual which is like you know insurance on DeFi. i love to think what you guys think of that project um and uh but I haven't gone super into uh, into doing any DeFi myself, largely because I'm usually busy and uh, I don't have that much capital. And also, like, unfortunately, like Hal, you were saying how like, there's all the other things you can do. When the pandemic sort of hit, like I was spending all this time looking at special sets because there was a lot of there was a lot of cannon fodder out there. Cannon, you know, there's a lot of shells, a lot of shell shock companies out there to look at. And some of the stuff worked really well. But um, I probably would have been better off finding something with that wasn't so transitory because a lot of those trades, I think, are somewhat coming to an end, the special sit out of COVID. So I'm a big fan, but I'm not, like, involved in that many – like, I'm not – I haven't actually done one DeFi uh, sort of, like, a uh, trade of any kind. Um, and uh, I should. I should. Also, like, I'm kind of a big – I still – I mean, we don't have that much Bitcoin because most of it's in these claims. But um, but uh, we should actually, I should probably just pull everything from my traditional broker and just be focused on, you know, crypto. I should just be like total USDC and then like, you know, yield farming. Um, but this is something where, I don't know. I'm like, I just haven't put in the time to learn all the different projects well enough. It's, it's really fun in DeFi. Like when I, okay, so like, a trade goes my way, right? And so then instead of like cashing out into USDC, I can cash out into USDT, mm-hmm. Tether, USDC, right? So 50-50, and then take that and go put it into some protocol and earn 25% interest while I look for a new trade, right? Like, it's just like... Crazy. And, yeah, and that interest is being paid out in a token, and that token, you know, itself, like, could whatever, 10x or something like that. And then, you know, if, if you really... If you really have the time, right? Then you can take that token, you can go stake it somewhere and start earning yield off of that token. Like, I mean, it's just, it, it's silly. It's its its crazy, um, but it's fun. And I think that's like the, the best part about I, it. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I mean, I honestly, even talking to you guys makes me think like, God, what am I waiting for to like go deeper into DeFi? Because like all the things I read about and, uh, and follow, and I'm just like, I should just be like, pull the bandaid off and just go like totally... Other than like a special sit here and there, just like totally get out of traditional finance, because um, the opportunity set in the like I don't even call them yield farming, but the lending and crypto and all the DeFi stuff is amazing, just amazing. Yeah, I mean, like for me, so you know, in the last year, it was like, okay, I own some Bitcoin, I own some crypto, that's great. I'm still running my old business, and then when DeFi happened, I turned into like, okay, I'm selling my old business, and and you know, working for Badger, like go, going in DeFi. Like it's just, for me, it's the difference between just earning, you know, holding this asset that you like versus like participating in this, I don't know, revolution or just, re- you know, helping to build these new 
you know, building blocks on top of these assets. So like it's, it's the difference between just owning something and like, I don't know, going in this new world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan, but I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, I don't know, man, like all, all, I don't want to say all the great fortunes, but you know, you always have to be doing something kind of fringy to get, you know, to sort of make a lot of money. And, you know, I met guys in the doc, like, you know, that were wealthy off the dot-com bubble and, you know, the dot-com bubble was a bubble, but you know, all the stuff was real. I mean, you will have, you know, this is not news to you guys, but you know, you'll have fits and starts where there'll be over investment and, you know, over hype and then, you know, like big waves and things. But like some of those guys, like, you know, they, no offense, like I think they're brainiacs. No, but they at least like put, put their time, attention and money behind like some, you know, something with some a theme they thought had growth. Well, it was like something in, in telecommunications uh, and, uh, and, and online. And I think crypto is very similar. So if you've got the time and you, and you really, also, if you enjoy it, it makes it easier, you know? Like, uh, so hard to for traditional finance guys as well as they probably work at a big firms or decent sized firms and they're just trying to get their paychecks, you know, and I don't know they have even the time to necessarily get up to speed on some of the, uh, you know, things happening in crypto. Things are like, well, I, I mean, we can tell you this because we work for Badger and all I do every single day, I wake up, I start reading messages, you know. I cannot keep up and I'm like, you know, I'm one of the best people keeping up. Right. Like it's, um, but that, that, that's where I think like it's obvious, it's an obvious value play, yeah. right? Like if the space is it, the, the risk, what, what is the risk? It, my opinion. And this is what we said. Um, this was before we made foot guns, me and boomer re- reported this podcast. And I was like, Hey, you know what I think is going on right now is I think there's too much money and not enough developers. And then what happened? Bitcoin got cut in half. And then a lot more developers came in and then now the money's coming back in. Right. And so I think that's like, that's sort of like the, the bet that you're making is like, um, clearly this is a ten- this is attracting the attention of people that would normally be going into things like bio med- you know, biomedic stuff, um, physics, uh, traditional finance, uh, you know, basically anything that like would an intelligent person would want to go and, and, and spend their time doing, they're now like, oh, hey, look, I could go do that or I could make like, you know, 200,000 percent APY by building, a <laughs> you know, this like interesting crypto project or whatever. And obviously there's going to be winners and losers, but but you, you see the um, the appeal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I'm not I mean, I just think it's like it's it's easy to. I mean, I got kind of sucked into crypto a bit through Mt. Gox, and, and, and I always said, like, I'm going to go full-time crypto when it pays out. Of course, like, now it's like, gone on way longer than I thought. <laughs> so, so and so I get sort of tethered back, and I, I assume people, you know, you get sort of put your head down just working on what your, your sort of your day job is or what you, you know, keeping income coming in um, so they don't think to, to look outside of that. But I think for the for the for people that are interested in it, it's a fantastic opportunity. And, you know, y'all are, y'all are making me like really think long and hard about like getting into the space more. I'm like a like a. You mentioned Nexus. Hal has some uh, has some takes on Nexus. I know we were discussing oh, yeah. it the other day. I he he's bearish. I mean, I I like it. Right, like if you can okay if you can earn 
30% APY and pay 5% or 10% for coverage, like why not do it? But Mm -hmm. I don't know how, what's, you want to give your take on this? I mean, I, I, I just like my background's in, um, basically like signal analysis, which is like that it's, it's what you do, right? Like you found all these, um, undervalued things and you bought them, right? You, you found a signal in the background and I'm just, I, I think the simple bet is like, okay, do they, do they actually have a good understanding of how often a DeFi protocol will get hacked? Um, and, and, and if they do, yeah, I mean, I guess like bearish, like, am I bearish? Am I bearish the token? I don't know. I, I, I think, I think that if there's a lot of people that are putting on like these, these giant, um, positions in DeFi and they don't quite understand the risk that they're taking, uh, then they're, they're really willing to pay someone that will like promise them, uh, you know, some insurance on that. But like I, I cover got hacked. Uh, what was that? Like eight months or nine months ago. So like, you know, what happens if, <laughs> what happens if the insurance protocol that is insuring the DeFi protocols gets hacked, right? I don't think there's any, um, there's any way that you can prove to me from like a coding standpoint that that DeFi insurance protocol doesn't have the exact same risk that every other protocol yeah. has. Right. So I just don't, um, I don't, I don't really see it as being revolutionary. I do think it'll stick around. I mean, obviously insurance like in traditional markets hasn't gone away. Right. I, I, I just, I mean, I just think that if you buy insurance, you're getting ripped off. Yeah, I mean, that's like the definition of insurance. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a cool project. I think the token's very cheap. Um, I think people will use it. Um, uh, Who knows? Maybe over time it's not necessary. Um, But, I mean, the token's token's cheap. I own $77 of insure network. Whenever the... um, Whenever they, the, the the insurance protocols came out, what was it like a year ago or whatever? It was like cover, Nexus Mutual, and mm-hmm. insure, and I was just like, oh whatever, I'm just gonna like throw. A, I think I put five hundred dollars into it. It's now worth seventy seven. Um, it's like you know Ethereum gas fees are too too expensive. It's not worth um, selling it back into anything else. So yeah, I, you know I picked the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, someone's got to help me explain. When are they going to fix Ethereum gas fees? Because I'm not like totally up to speed on this, but they're supposed to be fixing this, right? I mean, for Pete's sake, I mean, this is like insane. Like even for me, I'm like fifty five dollars. I'm like seventy five dollars. Like what's going on? Well, yeah, you asked the question, so I'll represent Boomer's thesis, right? Of, of Ethereum is the phone that doesn't charge, right? It's um, you know, all of us in the footguns discord like the, the most common phrase you know shared amongst everyone is like holy shit these gas fees are so high so um yeah wasabi maybe you have a take on this <laughs> uh no the take is if you're if you're an ethereum maxi and the gas fees are low then it's good because the gas fees are low but if it's high then it's good because ethereum block space is valuable and people want to pay a lot for it mm. so it's good okay. it's good either way no i don't know i mean like yeah like as a personally like it sucks to to have to like write a list of all your transactions and wait till Sunday morning till when the gas fees are low and then try to do them all real quick before uh, your kids wake up. Right. That's, that's what I do. So yeah, I mean, it's not good. I, you know, I moved some stuff to Arbitrum. I moved some stuff to Phantom. So yeah, I think, you know, it's these other networks that's going to be like for your lower dollar value transactions. So like Ethereum, 
somewhat like Bitcoin is going to be a little more, I'm going to call them stodgy. They're, they're going to be stalwart projects with a lot of stuff built on them. But they're clearly leaving the door open for other layers and other protocols to take over certain use cases because it's just going to be totally impractical. Like they're never really going to innovate. Right. Yeah. I was listening to another podcast podcast and yeah the guy was like making the point right like that increasing bandwidth of networks is like it's pretty pretty dumb to like bet against that like if you come from an area where you like started in dial-up internet and then now we're doing streaming right. videos and 3d experiences like I'd say it's a pretty safe, safe bet to make that this throughput is gonna go up pretty pretty uh pretty fast so you, can i ask you guys what are you guys are like all DeFi all the time like with all with most of your capital I have I have, uh, well, you know, like like I was telling you, like the good trades are boring, right? So I have um, an account on Robinhood that I only trade options on for funds, you know? And then I have like an FTX account that I have some crypto on that I try and like sort of, I don't know, I would say I make a trade like once or twice a week on there. Um, and then I have a Coinbase account for buying like shit coins. And then I have um my all, every all the rest of it inside of uh DeFi. Mm -hmm. and i was actually just pulling up um there's this i i discovered this today through badger there's this website called dbank.com and apparently i now have 46 percent of my portfolio on the avalanche network and a lot of that has to do with the fact that i, I made some one one-sided bets on avalanche that that went my way but um i i, I like avalanche i I'm doing like most of my trading there. And then there's this protocol called magic internet money. And I can, I can basically like sell into magic internet money and I can like go cross chain within like five. Well, normally actually nowadays, like it happens basically instantly. So I can take the money to a different network where I see a, you know, an arbitrage or a value opportunity. And I can, you know, within five minutes, like move the money over, buy it. And uh, I'm paying like, um, a dollar or something like that to do all this and like you know i could i could put on really really big positions like for a dollar or really really small positions for a dollar cool so you basically and then we could talk about badger i have a board call now but i could we can go over a little while i'm actually dialed in the other line but um so you you are basically taking your money going to ethereum and then going over um I guess Avalanche is on Ethereum, I assume, and that's like a DeFi protocol. Because I actually don't even know. Yeah, Avalanche is actually a, a layer, what they call like a layer one. So it's a direct, like Ethereum competitor for block space, at mm -hmm. least. So it's you know it has its own um, way that it deals with security that makes it a cryptocurrency. Uh, I actually, it's one of the the few networks that I use that I haven't done like a deep dive into their. Um, you know, uh, what do they call them? Like white papers or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, just from a user experience, it's nice. It's fast. It's cheap. Uh, there's a lot of liquidity on there, which I think that's one of the things in DeFi that people like kind of ignore when they're talking about new chains. It's like, dude, well, if there's nobody that I can trade with, then like I can't trade, right? It doesn't matter what the fees are. So do you have to hop off now? We can, we can, uh, punt the uh, rest of the stuff till till a later date if you got to run at this point well my issue yeah i should i should try to dial into this or have be on this but i'd love to hear more frankly about DeFi than about badger um because i know you guys um are excited about it and i kind of was reading some yesterday it was so cool like which is like that's one of the things i always get annoyed is like i want to own bitcoin 
but then I want to be able to do other things. And, you know, if you just lend out your Bitcoin, it's not a great, it's not a fantastic trade. Um, it's fine, but it's not, there's so many Bitcoins, you know, sort of like there's the, anyway, you know what I mean? Like the rates you can make are, are not very high. Um, and so, I don't know, very interested to hear about, yeah, let's, let's do that. Do y'all want to, do you want to try to chat on either Monday or honestly, I'm around tomorrow, tomorrow as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. I think Badger has a lot of, uh, moving parts, so it's kind of hard to, uh, to cram that in so yeah why don't we why don't we punt till, till another time but thomas this has been awesome thanks so much for your time dude yeah send me how if you have my information or wasabi like if y'all send me the stuff like and y'all, y'all's uh i'm trying to find it online i want to make sure i was on the right website but am i on that right foot dot substack is that y'all foot guns yeah uh, we we got foot you got foot <laughs> we are yeah we're, we're awesome. still we're still not certain if people are listening to us because they like um crypto guns or feet <laughs> yeah you never know you never know i'll definitely subscribe it's cool man i need to get deeper into DeFi for sure i have to admit that like i only know like the very basics you know i don't i don't like i've never had like you know you know and i should spend more time on it as opposed to looking at tradfi stuff i'm just so used to it but you know normally in tradfi i'm looking at like the most obscure stuff yeah, well, let's definitely chat. I'll send you an email and um, let's let's keep in touch. Uh, this was great. Yeah, we'll let you get to to your call and uh, we'll get back to defying. <laughs> get your defy on. All right, bye guys.